0: Hi everyone, this is Nature Tripping. I'm Cathy. And I'm Joe. Welcome to our podcast. <laughs> it's about going outside to experience the wildlife that's all around us. We're going to be chatting about where we are and what's happening. But Sometimes we'll just leave the microphones recording so we can spend some time just listening. bye <coughs>
1: Welcome to Nature Tripping, episode 14. And in this episode, we're going to the Inner Hebrides to investigate corn crates. I've just left home with my baggage, and I'm on my way up the west side of the country and across the sea to meet Cathy, who is on the Isle of Tyree, and she is doing some voluntary work. For the RSPB counting corn crakes so we'll be going out in the field and investigating these birds and their plight a little bit further. Did I ask any more food passengers? Ask any more food passengers for Tyree. Please make your way to the main square on this is Thank you. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Tyree. Recording everything, everything.
0: everything. Cold is the
1: sunniest island in Britain.
0: It is on an annual basis. You've picked a cold, grey, windy week.
1: So, you might be able to hear in the background the gentle swell of the sea. Oh, there's someone going over a cattle grate. Uh, We're
0: in Scaranish in Tyree. And it's quite late in the evening. We're thinking about setting off soon to go hunting for corn crakes. So it's about 11 o'clock? It's um, not exactly broad daylight, but um, the sun set about 10, and now it's kind of, well, it's light enough to do anything. I think you could just about read, but it's gradually, slowly getting dark. There's a tiny crescent moon, so it's potentially it could be quite dark for a while tonight. So our mode of transport
1: tonight is the bicycle. Um, we'll be cycling along the lanes of
0: Tyree that link up all the farmland, yeah, and listening out for corncrakes and tracking them down. Okay, mm. so shall we get going? Past all the sheep. Sitting on the road.. <laughs>
1: This isn't a hill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to hold the recording gear at the same time. Okay. Yeah,
0: luckily Tyree is quite flat. Yeah. It's lovely for cycling, um, but uh, the wind makes it feel like you're riding up here a lot of the time.
1: So we haven't got to any corn crates yet. We've just stopped by the roadside.
0: Listening to this. Yeah, we're listening to this gull colony. You
1: think it's uh, seagulls, some yeah. type of seagull?
0: Maybe black-headed gulls. Yeah. Anyway, there was a riot because they were mobbing a predator and seeing it on its way. But it sounds like they're settling down a bit now. So the corn crake is a medium-sized brownish bird that is hardly ever seen because it likes lurking about in the undergrowth um, it's a bit like a moorhen that lives on the land and it likes quite long grass and vegetation to hide away in, skulking about. So it's renowned amongst bird watchers for a bird you never see but often hear
1: and in fact Tyree has got quite a large number of corn crates, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. So they used to be widespread throughout the British Isles, but now Tyree is the place where there's one of the largest remaining British populations of corncrake. Yeah. And um, corn corncrakes are actually named after the sound they make. Their famous <laughs> sound. <laughs> so their Latin name is CREX CREX after that sound that they make, And they breed in Britain and across Northern Europe and Asia but they spend the winter, they migrate and they spend the winter in Africa. But I mean to look at them you wouldn't think they could fly that far, they're really dumpy and they hardly fly about when they're here. And goodness knows how they make that migration
1: I can hear a corn croak.
0: Oh, here we go, it's just starting.
1: Okay. so I think we've just heard our first corn croak in some long grass
0: and cow parsley on the edge of the field. I
1: mean, at the moment it's very hard to hear on the microphones through all the other bird noise, so we should go and get a bit closer. So this is the corncrake.
0: And they basically stand still in the patch of long grass doing that all night long. Well, for about three hours in the middle of the night. And we can, it sounds like there are two, but that's one corncrake with its echo from a nearby house.
1: If I was in the field speaking, my voice wouldn't echo back off a house, would it? No. So it's a peculiar thing. that That's what's happening with the corncrake's call. There's a very slight delay, isn't there? When a the second you can hear an echo, like you say.
0: So it sounds like there's two. Maybe it's a way of the corncrake making himself be more important and effective at seeing off other males. And in in the daytime, they're really mobile, they run about all over the place, but at night time they stay in one place, which makes it easier to locate and count them. So we're going to have a whole podcast of that sound. (laughs) Brace yourselves. So your survey tonight? Hmm. I'm um, counting corn crakes, and the way you count them is by counting these calling males. Okay. So you're
1: spending a few hours cycling up and down the lanes with my with my
0: ears I've wide tired. open. Yeah.
1: So there are now two, aren't there? Maybe you can't hear it, but this shotgun mic is picking up the one in the foreground. And then there's another call further away that I don't think is an echo. I think it's a separate bird. So we're cycling along the main road, or well, not a main road, a road <laughs> uh, along the front of a bay called Gott Bay, which is a long, long sandy beach.
0: Listening like mad, any
1: concrete slightly difficult when you've got the white noise of the waves. Yeah
0: it's kind of it's also it's about high tide so they're quite quite close. But any corn that there will be on the other side in the fuse.
1: So they really like tall grassy boggy patches don't they?
0: Yeah, well, it's it's about the lush vegetation, long grass. So early on, it's often nettles and irises. And then later on in the season, it'll be long grass, grasses and other meadow plants. So they're not water birds as such at all, but I think damp conditions mean lush, long grass early on. And um, one of the main reasons that there aren't as many in the whole country is because... Meadows and hay and grass and silage all gets cut much earlier than it used to, so there isn't any long grass left during their breeding season.
1: And I guess also every little last corner of land gets used for something, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: all tidied up.
1: Yeah. So for every male, do we assume there's also a female? Yeah. And a nest somewhere in that grass? Yes. Yeah. Well, we've been cycling for a while now, and we haven't heard any.
0: We're coming up to an area where I did hear some before. Peel your ears and eyes. Joey, you can hear one now? Yeah. I'm gonna just move along see if it gets louder.
1: So, Kathy, you're on a mission now. Yeah, You've
0: got I've got this several more lanes. Know, so better, and I've also got a time limit because peak corn crate counting time is between midnight and three. Okay. So i better crack on because I've got to cover all the lanes in my patch Okay. and see what's there count yeah. them and mark them yeah. all on my map.
1: Well, happy corn crate counting. Um, I'm going to drift home. I'll see what I can here on the way home and I might stop and take some more recordings. So hello again, Cathy.
0: Hello, we're back, at, we're back together at the... We've just bumped into each other, really, haven't we? At the, back at the start. Yeah. You, I was cycling along the road and it looked like you were rummaging about in the ditch next to this massive, noisy corn crake. It was awesome. literally on, on the side of the road. Whilst you've been off
1: doing your survey work, trying to find all the corn crakes, in my I've, sector, I've been homing in on a few... Uh, with my shotgun mic, and mm. um, um, yeah, they're interesting because, unlike many many other birds, they don't stop <laughs> when you get closer.
0: No, I mean relentless. They don't seem to mind our presence at all, do they? Mm. And you could literally—that one is on the roadside. We could literally stand over it and shine a torch around, and still not see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it would carry on. But we're not going to.
1: They're like cicadas, only the bird version. Yeah. It's a strange behaviour, isn't it? Quite specific.
0: Anyway, it's. I think it's between 2.30 and 3, and it's getting light, isn't it? Yeah, it was 2.40 when I looked at the watch was it? a few yeah. minutes ago, yeah. So we we can see what we're doing, really, without a torch. And it's kind of getting light from the north. Maybe the northeast. There's a flock of geese flying across.
1: Yeah. And if you can hear that kind of noise that occasionally listeners, then that's a snipe. Drumming. Yeah. Making that noise with its wings. Yeah. In a
0: display flight. And right. so they've been doing that all night, haven't they? They were doing it when we set out and they're doing yeah, it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I counted about 18. I counted 18. Wow. Corn in that section of the island. <laughs> is, it's about 15 kilometres of roads, which I've been on twice. Yeah. Or, I've been on all of them twice. Yeah, so I think... Um, I don't really know which method is best for counting corn crakes. I know John does a combination of driving and cycling. And I've done the cycling, which I think is much slower. But it's a, I really like it because it's two of the things I like doing best, birding and biking. And I really like the fact that you can cycle along listening intently to what's going on around you. And then you hear this fragment of a concrete sound. And then you home in on it and get closer and closer and locate it by sound.
1: Using yeah. Using your
0: two ears. Yeah. Like a binaural mic thing. Yeah. You definitely require stereo. stereo. Yeah. To locate it. Yeah. So I think that's quite challenging and interesting to do. And my picking out if there are two of them.
1: But also, what I found when I was trying to record them whilst you were surveying, is that um, they do throw their voices a bit, don't they? Yeah, they sort of project them around a and bit like a I you think doesn't. you're quite close, but you keep walking, and you keep walking, and you keep walking, and you're not that close. Yeah. They get louder and louder and louder <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's one by the chapel, which we we heard it I don't know at least two hundred and fifty meters away. Mm. We thought that was where it was mm. <laughs> I mean
1: how this one sounds like it's about twenty meters away from us, what do you
0: think ten? Can you see it? No. I think it's it's literally it's literally just there in that vegetation. <laughs> cow, right. That's cow parsley, anyway, isn't it? It's not even grass. Yeah. Should we go home and get a cup of tea? Oh, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. All right. To be continued. Okay, we're back home just after three o'clock in the morning in the village of Scarnish. And the dawn chorus is underway, featuring a blackbird in a garden and some gulls down on the shoreline. Next, we're going to hear from John Bowler. He's the RSPB officer for Tyree, responsible for monitoring the corncrake population and everything else to do with birds here. We visited him in his garden one afternoon, a couple of days after that nighttime recording, to find out more about corncrakes and their conservation. Um, how long have you actually been working on Tyree?
2: So we came here almost exactly 20 years ago now, June 2001. So yeah, 20 years of wow. working on this island.
0: And have you been counting corn crakes, like every year?
2: Yeah, so the, I mean, we actually arrived in June, which is the month for counting corn crakes. So we were straight into it, or well, I was straight into it that, that first month, which was a, a baptism of fire, really. I didn't really know what I was doing that well, uh, but it's something we've perfected over the years, and every June we do it.
1: And what's the story with corncrakes on Tyree? OK,
2: so Tyree has always been a stronghold for corn crakes. Um, even in the bad days when numbers really crashed in the 80s and 90s, Tyree still held on to about 140 calling males. And that's probably just because of the way it's crofted. Um, there's always rocky knolls, iris beds, places that couldn't get cut, or grazed for that matter, even in those days. So it still held on to quite a good number. But then a lot of conservation work went in with the crofters and farmers here. RSPB and others like SNH did a lot of work getting folk into schemes so that they farm in a, in a more concrete friendly way. And numbers went up quite rapidly to about 400 calling males in uh, about 2010. And then since then, we've held on to really big numbers. We've got three to 400 calling males. Uh, every year since then. There's been a slight decline in recent years but we still have a a very strong population.
0: And you count the calling males and then double that number is the population of Uh, corn quakes roughly? We
2: we always just talk about the numbers of calling males. They're the ones we've we've got a good fix on so we count those. Uh, Females don't call, they're very silent um, and we really don't know much about them. Um, They keep themselves themselves in the long vegetation uh, we know that some males can have up to three females on the go at the same time. Uh, so there could be more females than males. We don't know that. Um it's just the males that we uh, we can listen to and, and census. Mm.
1: And you talked about the rapid decline. Is that basically down to the intensification of agriculture? Yeah,
2: that's right. So originally a hundred years ago there were corncrakes in every county of the UK. In the they whole they, they country, were they really, were absolutely yeah. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there would have been a regular maybe not sight but sound to to people living in the country they would know corncrake or landrails as they were known in those days. Well
1: I spoke to my mum about corncrakes and she's in her 80s she grew up in Belfast on the outskirts next to a field with a small stream and and she just happened to say ah yeah there used to be a corncrake at Mm -hmm. the bottom of our garden Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
2: absolutely so that that's a story that's just happened right across the UK. Northern Ireland was one area that held onto birds until even in the nineties, there were still a few calling males around Lochney uh, in the middle of Northern Ireland, but even those have gone now. Uh, but the Irish themselves are doing a lot of work to try and get them back in different parts of the South. Actually, Donegal is a, a bit of a stronghold and Mayo too and their numbers are going up. They've, had, they've done some really good work to get, get their numbers back up a bit.
0: And what is it exactly that the corn crakes need? They like farmland, don't they? Yeah. You know, so, so, within so, farmland, what do they need?
2: Do so you think actually, you know, a long time ago in Britain, Britain was mostly wooded, and that wouldn't have been much good for corn crakes at all. They like grassland, so for a while, they had this pastoral landscape which would have been absolutely ideal for them. They like um, grass that's either mown or cut, so it comes through fresh again the next year. Bit like a garden if you leave it unmown it's great for the first few months and then it, it gets thatched and you end up with just rough grasses and, yeah. and not much use to anything so that that kind of landscape would have been absolutely perfect for corn crakes. but as things became more uh, intensive particularly after the second world war um, people started cutting fields earlier with bigger tractors faster corn crates just couldn't keep up with that yeah. um, so they need areas of grassland essentially from when they first arrive at the end of April, all the way through until ideally August. Yeah. So, that, so they can have two broods during that period. And then if the cut is after that, then they've had their chance to have those broods. And if it's done in a friendly way, it'll push the broods to the edges and they can go into other, other grass. But um, they, that rapid industrialization really of the landscape is what did, did in for them for, you know, throughout the UK. And it's really only on the fringes. So places mm-hmm. like Tyree and the Hebrides where there's still a, a rather more traditional way of going about agriculture that they've managed to hang on.
1: I watched Spring Watch the other night and there was a corn crake feature in Norfolk. Okay. I think they've taken some Scottish corn yeah. crakes to Norfolk. Yes. <laughs> and they, they have a breeding program. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're releasing them back into the wild and they're wondering, uh, because they're Scottish corn crakes, where the young will migrate to, will they go to where the Scottish corn crakes go to which i think they said was the congo yes or will they go where the english corn crates yes that's true migrate so that, to.
2: um that's an interesting one we we assume that because they're scottish corncrakes, they will have the the knowledge or the inbuilt hardwired knowledge to go south and yeah. end up presumably where they should go which is west africa but it's something we don't know actually but what they are doing is coming back so at least they're finding where... <laughs> somewhere that's suitable somewhere in africa uh, that they can come back to. So the idea is that, uh, as I say, we've lost them from most of the UK. They're just on the fringes now. But there are places where actually uh, corn probably could survive, uh, but they would never reintroduce themselves because they tend to come back to within 10 kilometers of where they're born. Um, so if you release a chick in Norfolk, it will come back to Norfolk. That, that's the thing. But if you, obviously a coal bird will come back to coal, possibly Tyree, yes. and vice versa. But they won't go any further than that. Um, So once you've lost them from an area, you've lost them for good, unless you really reintroduce them and bring them back.
1: Okay, so they're not like, for example, red kites who seem to have started in like Wales or...
0: They're resident uh, though, aren't they? And then they've spread
1: really well all over the place.
2: They have, although they've had a bit of a helping hand. So again, RSBB has been reintroducing birds in different parts of the UK. Uh, So there was a big reintroduction in, for example, uh, southern Scotland in Dumfries and Galloway and that those birds have stayed pretty much in the area, but they're beginning to spread. And uh, there's another release area in central Scotland, and now they're beginning to join up. But they do tend to go back and nest where they're from. Um, so without that intervention, it would have taken a very long time for the Welsh birds, yeah. that they were the last resident birds in the UK, to kind of spread back out and cover yeah. the range. And it's worked spectacularly well. I mean, there are red kites all over the place now. And people love brilliant. them. Mm. Oh yeah, lovely they're birds in, to
0: Yeah, see. They're in Leeds, for example. Right, okay. In, in the city. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. It, which is great. And I, I think there's old reports of Elizabethan times of kites in London, yes. and everyone assumed they were black kites, but they may well have been red kites. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, wonderful birds to see back in the, in the countryside.
0: I was gonna ask you, so going back to the numbers in mm. Tyree, or thinking about the numbers, in Tyree, that they've they've increased yeah. since you know you've been here and the interventions of you, RSPB generally. So what is it? What is it you've managed to achieve with the local farmers and crofters okay. here? And how you know? So basically,
2: I, I can't claim credit for this at all. But th- there was a a very good researcher who still works for us called Dr. Rees Green, or now Professor Rees Green, I should say, and he worked very closely on, on the corn crates to work out exactly what they needed when they come to these islands. So when they first come in. Uh, mid to late April, there's not much cover for them. So having what we call early cover, somewhere they can get into and be safe, find food, but also not be predated is critical. Mm. So providing patches of early cover, then- That's
0: like nettles and stuff, isn't it
2: here? Nettles, iris particularly on on Tyree, even reed beds they'll use, um, they they need something. And then adjacent to that, they need uh, either a hayfield or a silage field, which will grow up in the summer, which they can then move into uh, quite often they'll have the first brood in the early cover and then the second nest will be in the in the kind of grass crop. Uh, so you need that as well, but that grass crop can't be cut ideally until the 1st of August and even better later than that. And if it's cut in a friendly way, that that that's really important. So from the inside of the field out, pushing the young out to the edges rather than cutting from the outside in, which was the traditional way and you end up with all the concrete chicks stuck in that last bit of grass which don't like to cover areas that have been cut already and they all get cut up, so, um, so it's been incredibly successful and uh, you know a lot of, I wouldn't say every single farmer and crafter does that, but yeah. m- the vast majority do that here and they like doing it, they like to hear corn crakes, it's part of their, their own culture to have corn crakes around. So,
0: but how did you get them to change their behaviour?
2: So it wasn't me, again, I can't take credit for that, question. but it, it was really um, uh, through talking to them, talking about corn crakes, talking about what corn crakes need and how they could adapt their farming uh, such that it wasn't too much of an imposition to do what they needed to do in order to save the corn yes, here. Yeah. And they got paid, they get paid for that too. Right. And in the early days, some people would say, oh no, I don't, don't pay me for that, I do that already. Which, it, which is lovely, but it, if you can, pay for that, then it guarantees that it happens. So
0: through agricultural subsidies? Yeah. Yeah. So
2: so it started off as an RSPB scheme, and then it moved into agricultural subsidies through the ESA scheme, and then there's been various acronyms ever since, every five years. But essentially it's the same kind of thing, with the same management prescriptions for for corn crags, and it's been, yeah, very successful.
1: You know we're moving more into public money for public goods and elms and environmental some, I don't know what Elms, quite what ELMS stands for. So yeah. ELMS
2: might be an English thing, but the principle of yeah, public money for public goods, that's definitely very much in, um, in the kind of, the thinking now behind uh, environmental protection and how we go about things. So the Scottish uh, Government are thinking about that too. H- exactly what that comes out like, we don't know yet, we're working with them. Um, there's a lot of uh, discussion about results-led schemes and outcome-led schemes, which is all about creating the right sorts of habitat Rather than focusing necessarily on a bird, it's actually talking about the ha- habitat itself and how it looks at certain times of year. Um, so we'll see. We're not sure exactly where that's going. RSPB are working very closely with the Scottish Government um, to see how that scheme might come out, how it will be funded. It's key that there's more funding needed for these schemes. The direction of travel is, is all good at the moment.
1: Yeah, and you've had real success on Tyree mm-hmm. and that if you were in England looking at a model to adopt for trying to get more corn crakes back then you've kind of worked out how to do it so potentially if elms is uh, incentivized in the right way mm-hmm. you, we could start yes potentially yes absolutely there's you... no reason why we couldn't have our
0: corn crakes back but it would uh, probably wouldn't it would needed a combination of like creating the habitats and actually reintroducing some birds yeah maybe. yes yeah. yes yeah.
2: That, that that would be the way and it would be identifying So they tried it uh, uh, on the washes in east anglia where you've got isolated patches of grassland surrounded by arable uh, and other uh, crops that they just simply won't use so in effect they're islands it's almost like the hebrides but you've got these patches and whether they're big enough and whether the management is right in those um but it's definitely doable we know we know what concrete's need yeah we know that the translocations can work because that has been done so that is an option further down the line. I think right now the key is to ensure that the Scottish populations remain robust. Yeah. Uh, so we've got schemes that are coming to an end. This was the final year, as far as we know, of rollover of corncrake schemes. What happens even next year, we don't know. So, uh, and because they're so short-lived, they live for one or two years, having uh, farms out of schemes for just a, a, a few years can make mm. a huge difference. You can lose them as quickly as you kind of regrow the populations so uh, ensuring that the Scottish population remains robust is key yeah. and then after that once we've kind of saved them if you yeah. like then we can maybe consider other options for yeah. other parts of the UK.
1: What I wondered was what are the, the ecological limitations on the size of the corncrake population that you could get to in Tari? Has it reached its full carrying yeah, that's capacity? A, that's
2: a good question. I think the answer is when we got about 400 birds we are probably at Carrying capacity, or very close. I'd yeah. imagine we had incredibly high densities in parts of the the SPA in this part of the island, Ballafoal, Ballamartin, Manol
1: SPA, That's
2: Special Protection Area, right. for corn crakes. So it's been designated as a as a key patch of habitat for them. And when we had four hundred birds, some fields were just ju- just felt like they were bursting with corn yeah. and you imagine, you know, there's only so much food in that That's in that field for all those corn crakes. And if you think about there's a lot of corn crakes. you've got. The male maybe he's got more than one females on the go who knows mm. plus they have a first brood and then they have a second brood and occasionally they might have a third brood and broods can be up to 10 chicks so that, that that's potentially a huge number of birds mm. um in in a small area so i think we were close probably
0: different tech really but um you know we've been counting corn crakes mm-hmm. at night and we've been counting the males who are calling yeah <laughs> all the time oops what's that
2: that's a hoodie crow. <laughs> <laughs> Interrupting.
0: Anyway, so we've been counting the calling males. What are they calling for? You know, they've yeah. they've got their females, they've got their territory. What so, are they doing? Uh, yeah, all so night basically long. they do.
2: And and it's <laughs> yes, and some people complain because it's it's frankly quite noisy or it can be. Um yeah, they call from midnight till three just consistently. Um so I think that male is saying, I'm here. This is me, this is my territory, uh, but he's also saying yeah, this is me and my territory and are you a female and are you around so there's definitely he's calling to other males to proclaim where he is and to keep them out of his bit uh but also he's calling to females to attract uh that's a who crook okay. um and it's basically saying yeah you know if, if there's more females out there i'm interested so they, they'll have definitely um the first ones come end of april and the first males and females will start pairing off in late April, early May, and the very first clutches will be in May, early May, and then the first broods are out in about now, sort of mid-June, the first broods are hatching out uh, and you'll start seeing chicks if you're lucky, uh, and then the males, this is when they're really going for it, they're really calling, they're looking for that the next, the next female, and possibly more than one female, who knows, yeah.
1: And will they move about to a different spot to get that female?
2: Yes, and this is where our census work. We, we rely on doing exactly the same thing each year, so we have a very standardised methodology. Uh, but we know from radio tracking that, for example, birds from col that have bred on col in the first round of breeding in May can come to the east end of Tyree in June and breed there. Mm. Uh, and that's not because the habitat has changed on col, they've just decided to switch to somewhere else. So we do know that they'll move around, not not far, but. Uh, within a few kilometres. Um, so part of our sense is, is we're trying to work out, uh, we, do, we do the survey round three times during June, uh, and then we're trying to relate where birds are calling and working out if it's the same male on different occasions or if it's a different one. We're trying to work out how many birds are here and not all males call every night. So it's, it's a bit of a...
1: Margins of error, there yeah, are the, some...
2: Yeah, there are margins of error, but what we do is we stick to a very strict methodology. Yeah. If the bird has moved uh, less than 200 metres, then we assume it's the same male. Uh, but if it's moved more than that, then we assume it's a different one. Okay. Yeah, we just yeah. have to take a, you know, a judgment call. On yeah, that. and if
1: you're doing the same method every year, then it's the same margin of error yeah, every exactly. year. Exactly. So. Exactly that. And yeah.
0: I suppose you, the numbers of calling males becomes a sort of a proxy indicator for the size of the population yeah. or changes in the population over time.
2: Yes. Yeah. rather
0: than an absolute
2: yeah. Figure I'm, I'm sure we're never absolutely silence. bang on the number. Yeah. We can't be. I, maybe in some places where you've only got one or two birds, it's easier to work out what's going on. But when you've got, you know, 300 calling males, <laughs> it's, did that one really move that far? You know, who knows? It, it's much harder.
0: And it must be at least with the fact that Tyree is an island. You're fairly confident you've got, you've done the job accurately each time. I mean, if there was, if it was a on the mainland and you were counting in a zone, but there could be influxes from all over Yeah, it, w-
2: it would be more complicated, yeah. definitely. So the I- islands are easier to count, for sure. Yeah.
0: So there's a new campaign or project, isn't there, from yes. the RSPB called yeah. Corn Crate Calling.
2: That's right. What's that all about? So um, I think I mentioned earlier that the population, yes, they've, they've done very well and we've got a bigger population now on Tyree than we did, but there's been a, a kind of year-on-year decline here. Not not large, but five, six, seven percent every year. The last 10 years or so, so we're now down to about 280, 290 calling males when we had 400 10 years ago. Um, and we're not quite sure why that is. So the Corncrate calling project is really it, it's focusing minds again that the, the job of saving corncrakes in Scotland isn't finished yet, uh, and that uh, RSPB are putting uh, more effort into getting people engaged in corn crakes, thinking about corn crakes. And where schemes are coming to an end then there's money available for doing more work on the ground for corn crakes. so more early cover uh late cutting uh if they're no longer in a scheme there's more money for that and in some ways it's, it's not designed to be a gap between the environmental um
0: subs- agri environment schemes land, land sorry yeah, yeah the agri environment schemes
2: and and the new ones yeah but in some ways it might act like that because what the last thing you want is gaps with corn crakes a year or two of, of not being. Uh, managed in the correct way and you can lose them very quickly and that's what happened across the whole of the UK so uh, yeah. we really don't want that to happen in, in the last Scottish refuges for them yeah
1: I mentioned earlier my mum when she was a kid there was a corn crake at the bottom of her garden and is there any potential for people with large gardens
2: yes, to have so corn crakes? Yeah, uh, so we, could could the garden, general
1: public do their our bit? Our garden to has
2: save uh, corn crakes in so part of the corncrake po- calling project there's also a uh, sleeping with corncrakes a section <laughs> to it which links in with accommodation providers here who um, will have people staying in their accommodation in May, June, and July and will hear corncrakes out the window and that's you know in a, in a UK context that's really unusual and it's it's a kind of selling point if you like for those uh, accommodation providers and what we're trying to do is get them to think about well it, rather than strimming all that grass over there all that nettle bed that looks a bit unsightly actually we'll keep that because that's where the the corn crates are going to call from, and quite likely breed in. So it's just thinking about on a micro scale as well as on a larger scale is really useful.
0: I'm just thinking they keep you awake though, don't they? We've we met some yes. people who had them in their garden and they did keep them awake.
2: So. <laughs> There's all sorts of stories about people throwing shoes out the window into the rhubarb patch to try and you know, stop them. And it, of course it doesn't, it doesn't work at all. They'll just keep calling. Yeah. Um,
1: they did like their corn crates, They did, so yeah. She did say a wait every year for them to turn up, yeah. Yeah. and they had taken photos in a video of their corn crakes. Yes.
2: I think they would miss them if they weren't there. Uh, yes, they can be annoying sometimes, <laughs> but uh, on, uh, particularly on a really warm June night, which we haven't really had. But if you want to open that's your windows, true. you can't. You can't sleep if, if you've got one just outside. It really is quite a noise. Um, but if we didn't have them, what? What a you know something would be really missing from this mm. island if you didn't have those calling mm. birds at night.
0: Well, that's been really interesting, and. I think there's at least some grounds for optimism about the future of corn crakes. I mean on Tyree and Scotland generally.
2: I think so, we've, in... we've still got them, they're still here, yeah. they're doing their thing, um, and there's the will out there. If
0: that campaign can sort of spread the interest and in, spread the word about how good they are to have around, and I think there's an opportunity with the changes of agricultural subsidies to really promote um, corn crakes and other wildlife. Through agriculture. Yeah,
2: I absolutely agree. Through farming,
0: changing, improving farming methods.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think you've got to see the islands in the context of crofting and keeping cattle. That's mm, so important. Absolutely. That's so Both fundamental really... to everything here. Why, why have silage if you don't have cattle uh, to feed them in the winter? Um, and if you have cattle and sheep, but cattle in particular, grazing maca, grazing the habitats here um, is so important. But yeah. for so many things here, just the way the islands look, but also just the whole biodiversity here. We have a whole range of maca specialist species, bees, bumblebees, uh, all sorts that are here because of the cattle and are still here because of the mm. cattle. So keeping the crofting agriculture, the crofters and their cattle here is fundamental.
0: And fundamental to the wildlife as well. They're integrated. Oh yeah, it? completely. So too often there's a sense of conflict between the two sides, whereas here they're definitely uh, one requires the other. Really. There's no
2: doubt. If you lost the crofters and you lost lost the, the cattle, yes. you would lose most of the, the, the biodiversity that we all think about yes. is so special for Tyree. But,
0: and then, if you lost the biodiversity, Tyree would cease, in many respects, cease to be the special place that attracts oh completely the visitors and the holidaymakers. That's right. It? Absolutely. There's food for
1: thought thanks very much john for your time this afternoon you're welcome um we'll let you get on with your remaining june corn crate counting thank you well, it's looking
2: very good for tonight actually so i'll probably be out again yeah. okay Great.
1: thank you thank you thank you so we've reached the end of the podcast now the next step is for john to count up all the numbers from this year's survey and come up with a total number of corn crates for this year and Use that data with the other data from other years to work out what the trends for corncrakes are on the
0: island. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. We're going to leave you with another nocturnal corncrake soundscape. A few more minutes of this unique and special sound.